Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex. I'm a member here at Christ First. And I, I want to start uh, this morning by asking a question. And it's this. What do you find most interesting thinking about? Uh, what do you love to dwell upon? If you read books or uh, news articles, if you listen to podcasts, what subject matter uh, do you find yourself turning to? What engages your curiosity? Uh, for me, I love sport. Uh, I'm, I'm sure my wife would say too much. You see, I, I'm always checking BBC Sport throughout the day for the latest scores, the latest news. I listen to sports podcasts. I love to talk about sport with friends and work colleagues. I'm one of those guys, unfortunately. Uh, I don't know what the answer is for you. Perhaps it's uh, the news, uh, tech, science and nature, music. Now, all these things are really good, uh, but I was reminded in preparing uh, my message this morning that the greatest thing we can dwell upon, indeed, the, the grandest and most engaging subject matter of all, is the study of God, the study of who he is and what he is like. Because consider for a second that all of our interests, be it music, sport, tech, science and nature, all of those things are ultimately created by God. And so, uh, how much greater is it to learn about the creator than the created things? Uh, let me link, link this back to my message this morning. You see, so far um, in our series in Exodus, we've we looked at chapters one and two, and we've seen the, the Israelite nation uh, multiply in Egypt. We've seen uh, these Israelites come under harsh persecution from the Egyptians. And we've seen one particular Israelite, Moses. We've seen his birth, we've seen his early life, and then we've seen him flee from Egypt to Midian, where he settles and becomes a shepherd. You see, in chapters one and two, we've heard much about the Israelites and much about Moses, but really only snippets, only a few bits about God. Indeed, when we continue our passage this morning in chapter 3, Moses is now 80 years old. Forty years have passed since he fled Egypt to Midian. And this, in this time, nothing, it appears that nothing significant has happened. And if we look at the bigger picture of the Bible, the last time God clearly spoke was in the time of the patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, centuries ago. So it's been a long, long time without God clearly speaking. But this morning in chapter three, God turns up. God appears on the scene. And so I hope you're excited this morning because when God turns up, we can learn about him. We can see what he's like. Because how God chooses to appear and from what God says about himself and from what God says, says about his people, we can learn about him. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, so let's read uh, the passage, if we could click on, please. Uh, it's Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 12, and the words will appear on the screen behind me. So Exodus chapter 3, starting from verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness 
and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of her Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the, law, uh, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Uh, next slide, please. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Uh, let me pray quickly before I kick off. Yeah, Father God, we, we worship you, we adore you, and we thank you that you have been with us already this morning. I pray now that as we open your word, as we, as we study it together, would you, would you teach us, uh, would you help us to learn, would you speak to us now, I pray, Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but after reading that passage, I have a lot of questions. For example, why does God ask Moses to take his sandals off? Why does God appear in the midst of a bush, in the middle of a wilderness, in the middle of nowhere? And what is going on with this fire? And why is the bush not burnt? It's quite a peculiar scene. And I'm, I'm going to attempt to deal with those questions this morning. Uh, but there's also something that happens in verses 4 and 5, which I find particularly interesting. I wonder if you noticed it. You see, uh, God calls Moses, but then tells him not to come too near. Uh, could you go on one slide? Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, so in verses 4 and 6, you see, God called to him out of a bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Isn't that a bit strange? Why, why is God calling Moses and then saying, actually, don't, don't come 
too near? And that's the question I'm going to try and deal with first. And to help us deal with this question, I think it's helpful if we look at the imagery of fire. And on the screen behind me, if we click on one, you'll see two Im images associated with fire. Now, one picture on the left is uh, a picture of the Australian outback fires, which happened earlier this year. Now, if you recall, Australia was struck by some terrible bushfires, which actually resulted in 44 million acres of land being burnt. To put that in context, the size of England is 32 million acres of land. So uh, an area of land larger than England was burnt by these fires. And then on the right-hand side, we have another picture of a fire. I in this case, it's a, uh, uh, it's a depiction of a traditional cosy fireplace scene. And in particular, what this one is, is, is a, a snapshot of a YouTube video, which some might be familiar with. Uh, by quick uh, show of hands, who is familiar with this YouTube video? Okay, good, maybe half a room. <sighs> Tragic. Unfortunately, I am also familiar with this video. Um, for those of you who, who aren't familiar with this YouTube video, it's 10 hours long. And all it is is a picture of that fire scene crackling away with your favorite cheesy Christmas tunes playing in the background. But that's it. That's all it is. Now, as you'll see, both pictures depict fire, but the human uh, reaction to the fire and how we would approach the fire is completely different. On one hand, the fire is dangerous and causes us to flee. It's a separation. But on the other hand, the fire is appealing and it draws us close to the extent that we would actually be happy to listen to Mariah Carey whilst, whilst watching a video of a fire. So, so we see that there, actually, there are two ways of viewing fire. One way is that it is to be respected, meaning that we cannot come too close. And there's another sense in which fire is appealing, something that draws us close. And so I, I think this helps us to understand what is happening when Moses sees God as a flame of fire. Something similar has happened because there are two aspects of God's nature for us to understand. On one hand, uh, the fire demonstrates God's holiness and purity, and therefore his anger towards sin. These things actually cause us to be separated from God and mean that we are unable to approach God too close. And this is why Moses, actually God tells Moses, do not come too close. But there's another side of fire where it actually reflects the reality of God providing light and heat to his people. Fire is a picture of God's glory, something that attracts us to him, which is why we see you know, God, uh, Moses turn to the fire and he, he comes to it because he, he's appealed by the fire. Now, for the rest of this morning, I want to actually delve into these two aspects of God's nature. Uh, could you click on one slide, please? namely his transcendence and his imminence. Now, these might appear to be big words, and they are, and I, I certainly wasn't familiar with them before I started preparing this message, but actually they have quite a simple meaning, so bear with me. I think we can really learn a lot by uh, delving into these two meanings. You see, God is both transcendent and imminent. And when we say he's transcendent, this refers to his distance or his separation from us, because he is God, and we are 
not. And when we refer to his imminence, we are talking about his closeness or his nearness to us. And I hope you can see that actually initially these two phrases might appear to be conflicting. How can God be transcendent, far above us, but also imminent and close? But I, I believe this morning that God is absolutely both of these things. And there's a glorious truth in the fact that he is both of these things. So we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, next slide, please. So first we're going to look at God's transcendence. So as I said, this the actual word transcendence means to exceed usual limits or to exist above and independent from. You see, God created all things. He is higher than the world. He has absolute power over the world. He exists above and is, it, and is independent from creation. Indeed, God is above and beyond us. Transcendence points to the infinite distance that separates him from every creature. It also points to God's holiness meaning his separateness and his purity, his sinlessness. If we think of some scriptures um, from the Bible which highlight this, we can look at Psalm 113, verses 5 and 6. Uh, these aren't on the screen, so if, uh, just listen and we, we don't dwell on them too long. So Psalm 113, verses 5 and 6. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we see that there is something in God's very nature that is separate, clearly, from us as humans. And I think we see this reflected in the passage as well we've read this morning, and we're going to go through that now. Uh, firstly, as we mentioned in, in the fact that God appears as a flame of fire in verse 2, this, is, um, this reflects God's holiness, his purity, his sinlessness, his moral perfection. All these characteristics belong to God and to God alone. Secondly, uh, again, we've mentioned this, the fact that God tells Moses not to come too near in verse 5. This highlights that there, there is a real separation at this point between God and Moses. And that's because Moses is a sinful man. And because of that sin, he is unable to approach a holy and a perfect God. Third, uh, we see that God commands Moses to take his sandals off in verse 5. And what, what's the explanation given in a passage? It's that it's because Moses is standing on holy ground and it's only holy because God is there it wasn't holy before God was there but it's made holy by God's presence because God is holy notice also how God doesn't then permit Moses to come near after he's taken his sandals off so Mo Moses takes his sandals off and, and he still stays slightly at a distance and so what's happening here is that Moses is showing reverence and respect and humility to God because God is transcendent and far above us. Now, I've tried to think of a modern day equivalent of showing respect, and unfortunately, it's quite difficult because a lot of the commentaries I read suggested you could take one's hat off to show respect, but I don't really have any bowler hats to take my hat off to show respect. Uh, I think the closest thing I could think of was actually turning your phone on to silent 
or putting it away as a mark of respect. That's our modern day equivalent of taking your shoes off. Well, that's what's happening there. By Moses taking his sandals off, he's showing respect and reverence to God. Fourthly, look at how God describes himself in verse six. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Uh, These three men, they died centuries before. God was their God then. He's also present and is Moses' God now. And he is our God now and he will always be God. God is eternal. That is something, a a characteristic that only belongs to God. He is eternal. And finally, notice how God reacts to the scene um, at the end of verse 6. You see, Moses is afraid. He hides his face. There is something about the nature of God which Moses is afraid of, which prevents Moses from even looking at God. And that is God's transcendence, the fact that he is high and far above us. He is holy and pure. And let's, let's just slow down for a second and, and consider these things. How often do you find yourself dwelling upon God's transcendence? How often do you consider his nature and who he is? Do you regularly find yourself praising him for his holiness, his purity, his power, his might, giving thanks that he reigns from the beginning of time, now and will reign forevermore? If the answer is sometimes or not, not often, then perhaps there's a challenge to you this morning to, to spend more time reading a Bible and in the scriptures, learning about God. Listen to sermons, read books, or spend time with other brothers and sisters who will encourage you about who God is. As we, as we started this message off, uh, the study of God is it's amazing, it, it's captivating, it's engaging. I'd encourage you to do so more and more. However, if, if I were to finish my, my message here, I think we'd be left in a difficult position because we'd, we'd see that God is awesome. We'd see that he's, he's worthy of praise, but then there'd be a difficulty in knowing how we are to interact with him. I hope you see that. How, how could, can we approach a holy God? And this then links us to the second nature we're going to talk about of God, God's imminence. Um, if we could move on a slide, please. And again, as a reminder, God's imminence means his, his closeness to us, the fact that he is near. It's the fact that God chooses to come near to us and to, chooses to come near to his creation, and he is active. And this, again, as I said earlier, this might appear to be a paradox. How can God be transcendent, higher than all things and beyond us, and yet also be imminent, be close to us, draw near to us? It might appear to be a paradox, but I think it's actually a glorious truth about our God. Indeed, think about how scripture encourages us to view God. Words like father, as we sang this morning, the good father, as a shepherd, as a helper. These are such beautiful relational terms with which we're encouraged to view God. Combined with the fact that as we've just been looking at, God is transcendent and holy and pure. What an amazing marriage of two characteristics of God. So let's, let's look at how this passage points to God's imminence, his closeness to us. Again, as I mentioned, the first thing is the fact that God appears as, as, a, as a flame of fire. Uh, as I said, the fire 
reminds us of God's light and warmth that he provides to his people. It reflects his glorious nature. There's something about God that draws us to him. Secondly, there's something important in the fact that the bush um, is not consumed or not burned that we see in verse 2. The, uh, the bush is widely regarded as a, as a picture, actually, of, of the Israelites, of God's people. And if that's the case, then, and again, there, there are quite a few different interpretations of exactly what this picture might mean. Uh, but one that I find particularly convincing is that if, if the bush you know, reflects God's people, the Israelites, and as we've seen, if, if the flame of fire is God, then what, what we have here is a picture of God dwelling closely with his people so as the flame of fire is in the bush so God wants to come and meet with his people and and why is it not burned well this is an encouragement that when God comes and dwells with his people his people are not destroyed they're not burned up but instead they're almost given life by the very presence of God so God comes close to us and he gives us life Thirdly, in this passage, we can see that God calls Moses by name in verse 3. God says, Moses, Moses. You see, but despite being transcendent, God knows each and every person, every single person in this room by name. Remember what um, our Lord Jesus Christ says um, in Matthew chapter 10. He says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Stop and consider that for a second. Every single one of our hairs are numbered. What unbelievable uh, relationship we have with our God. He cares for us in that much detail. Praise him. And also, notice also, sorry, the how, how God interacts with Moses in this passage, how relational he is. He says, he tells Moses that I will send you. He says, he refers to the Israelites as my people. And at the end of verse 12, he says that he will be with Moses when he goes. There's a real relational relationship between God and Moses here as God comes close to him. Fourth point, God knows our sufferings and comes down to deliver us. Uh, we see this in verse 7 and 9. If you could click on Alex, please. Thank you. Um, and we've seen this in previous weeks as we've already been studying in Exodus, how, how God hears our cries, he hears our prayers, he knows of our pain and our troubles, and God cares, and God is able to intervene, and he, and he does so. Notice how God comes to Moses, not the other way around. God was just out in the wilderness being a shepherd, and God appears to him. God comes to us, he comes close. And finally, note how God remembers his promises. We see this a lot in this passage. You see, in, in verse 8, uh, God uh, promises to Moses and his, um, the Israelites that he will bring them to the land of the Canaanites. You see, God promised this to Abraham and his descendants back in Genesis. But God had not forgotten his promises because he is faithful and what he promises, what he, promises he will fulfill. Notice also at the end of a passage in verse 12 how God promises again to Moses that, he, that Moses should return to this exact mountain to praise him 
worship him. Now, a spoiler alert, this does happen. In chapter 19, as we'll, as we'll see in a few months' time, maybe a week's time, uh, the Israelites and Moses do come back to this mountain. And this is when a God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. God is faithful. What God promises, he will deliver. Again, this is just an indication of how God comes close to us, that he, he cares for us and he relates to us. And just a quick side point in case you were wondering, you may have seen that the mountain in, in this section of scripture was referred to as Mount Horeb, whereas you may, you may more fam- be more familiar with the term of this mountain of Mount Sinai, which is what is referred to in, Mount, in chapter 19 and the majority of the rest of scripture. Uh, I think the general consensus is that this is the same mountain, or at least the same mountain range, and Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are, the sa- are different names for the same mountain. Just a side point in case you were confused and a few weeks later you accuse me of saying, they don't come back to this mountain, it's Mount Sinai. They're generally considered the same place, but different names. Just another piece of scripture which, which is, helps us to see how God comes close to us. Uh, Psalm 139, verses 7 and 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Praise God. Again, I think it's appropriate for us just to slow down for a second and, can, and ask ourselves, do, do, we, do we consider these things regularly? How often do we consider these truths? The fact that we can't escape God, that he has come close to us. Do you know that you can go to any country in the world and you can still pray to God? You can be in the heights of an airplane or the depths of a submarine. I, I haven't been in a submarine, but if you, you don't know if anyone is there. But you can go anywhere and you, you can't escape God. You can still pray to him. Praise him. Brothers and sisters, we need to regularly consider how awesome it is that God came close to us, that he cares for us, that he knows us by name, that he knows our trials, our problems, and our concerns. Do we remind ourselves regularly of his promises to us and praise him for his faithfulness? Uh, Also, I want to stop a moment and and to help us apply uh, what we've learned. You see, I, I suspect that as a church, we're we're probably fairly comfortable with the idea of, of God's imminence, of, of God being close, of being a father, a helper, a shepherd. Uh, but perhaps we're, we're less uh, comfortable with the idea of God being transcendent and holy. And I think there's, a, there's perhaps a danger uh, to this, which we could fall into as a church. You see, I think we can, because of this, overstate an emotional side of a relationship with God. You may have heard this phrased as a, a Jesus is my boyfriend or Jesus is my girlfriend culture. An approach where we simply look to God to please us, to answer our prayers as if he is a genie and he, he is there to, to do our bidding. I think we live in a culture where we're encouraged to think that every, everything revolves around us. And it's, it's hard for us not to translate that into how we think about God. If we if we forget and if we don't dwell upon God's transcendence and his holiness, then we can be guilty of bringing God down to our level. We can even be guilty of finding God boring and dull. 
as we've seen this morning, God, God is so far above us. He is, he is not our boyfriend and girlfriend, but he is Lord of all, and he is king. He reigns above all creation, and he answers his prayers in his perfect wisdom and in his perfect time. And he is anything but boring. We could spend 10,000 years with God and not even begin to exhaust the depths of his glory. So I think I, I want to challenge you again this morning to ask yourself if you've approached God in a poor way recently. Do you, do you think that God is just there to make our lives easier, to increase our wealth and power? Look at your prayer life. What, what would it say about how you approach God? Do you only pray for personal prosperity? Or do, do you pray, you know, it's good to pray for ourselves, absolutely, and when it comes to do so, but do you also pray for our nation, our town, and for your brothers and sisters as well? Do you acknowledge that God has Lord, is Lord sorry, and has authority over all our lives and the decisions we make? God is gracious and he is forgiving, but this morning he might be challenging you just about how you think about him and how you approach him. We must not neglect God's transcendence, but we should instead fully embrace the fact that he is transcendent and holy as well as imminent and close. Uh, one further challenge for me. Um, Andy spoke to us a few weeks ago about uh, punctuality on Sunday morning. And I think it's, it's quite appropriate that we, this links into this message as well. Uh, you see, I think when we, when we remind ourselves of God's transcendence, it's only right that we, uh, in response, come to God with reverence, respect and humility. And I think one way for us to, to do that is to make sure that we do our best to to be here on time at 10.30. Um, I think as a whole church, we maybe slipped in this area. And I know that I've been guilty of this absolutely in the past as well. I think for the first five years as a Christian, I'm not sure I turn up to church on time more than two or three times, which is terrible. So I think but ab absolutely there's grace. Um, but perhaps God is calling us this morning to honor him by making an effort to turn up to church for 10.30. So there's a challenge. Will you commit this morning going forwards to be here on time, to honour God with your time? Some concluding remarks then before I finish. I want to draw everything together. I think ultimately we need to see that God is both transcendent and imminent. Let's not settle for an image of God which is, is mediocre. See, God is both holy, pure and mighty, but he is also close. He is our loving Father and our Deliverer. This is awesome news. Only the Christian God, our God, is both of these things. See, I think gods of other religions, they can, they can claim to have power, claim to have authority, but they are often aloof and distant. I don't know about you, but I feel like when of my friends who, who are religious, religious or following a different religion, they can't relate to a God like, like we can. They don't say Father, and help and shepherd. They can't do that. So how amazing it is that we can approach our God like that. Alternatively, think about the gods of our modern society. Money, fame, and power. They can certainly appear to be really close to us, but they have no true power, do they? But again, our God does. We must embrace God in both his transcendence and his imminence. 
Indeed, we need a God who is both near and far. Next slide, please. Oh, and one more. I missed one. Um, I really like, love this quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. God is both further from us and nearer to us than any other being. I think that's a glorious truth. Consider it for a second. Um, if God were only transcendent in part, if he were quite powerful, but not all-powerful, if he was generally good, but still sinned every now and again, would that really be a God you'd want to praise? Not me. How amazing it is that our God is all-powerful and he is utterly pure and sinless. Alternatively, if God were only imminent in part, if he were only close and near to some of us, if you had to go to a certain place to meet with him, oh, that would be such a struggle. And how could we relate to him in a meaningful way? But again, that's not the case for our God. He has come close to all his creation. Our God is both transcendent and imminent. Praise him. Uh, I can't really finish without also looking at this passage in the light of Jesus. You see, God's imminence, his closeness to us, is most supremely displayed in Jesus. You see, Jesus came down to deliver, uh, sorry, just as God came down to deliver Israel, so Jesus, the Son of God, came down to deliver all who would believe in him. By Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he made a way by which we can come, can come close to God. Uh, we're probably familiar with some scriptures. Let me just read them to us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. In Christ Jesus our Lord and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave a right to become children of God. You see, it's because of Jesus now we can approach God's throne. It's because of Jesus that we have become sons and daughters of the Lord Most High. Ultimately, God's love for us is so great that his imminence overshadows his transcendence and he chooses to come close to us. This is most wonderfully and beautifully displayed in God's incarnate son, Jesus Christ, who came, broke through the barrier of sin to draw mankind into a personal relationship with him. Praise God and praise Jesus. I'm going to draw uh, this morning to a close there. I have some response points. So perhaps you've been challenged this morning to, yeah, to commit to, to studying God, to commit to uh, yeah, reading the scriptures, listening to sermons. Perhaps instead you've been challenged in how you approach God, to instead approach God with a, with a humility and a, and a reverence and a respect for, for who he is. Perhaps you've been challenged just simply about, you know, turning up to church at 10.30 and sticking to that going forwards. Or perhaps most simply, and I hope we've all been challenged in this way, perhaps you've just been challenged that we need to worship God for who he is. I hope you've seen that he is utterly, utterly worthy of all our praise. Uh, if you want to pray for any of those things, uh, feel free to do that where you're sat or with a person who, who you came with. Uh, or well, sanitarily, we have a really wonderful uh, 
prayer team who would love to pray for you with, about any of those things or about anything in particular. Uh, but let me pray now just to close. Father God, we, we worship you and we adore you. We lift up your name this morning and we declare that you are holy, holy, holy God. And we thank you, God, that you have also come close to us. Thank you that you hear our prayers. And thank you ultimately for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to, to live for us, to die for us. Thank you that he was also resurrected so that we could all have life as well. Thank you that you have brought us close. We pray that you would be with us the rest of today and this week. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.